Jim Joyce, I haven't spoken to you in a year. Well, at least on the shot. That's it. Happy New Year, man. We're allowed to, like, you can technically say Happy New Year now. It, today's the last day, and then it's, is you it? gotta say something else. The, the 12th is the cutoff? <laughs> really? Okay. The 12th well, is something about little Christmas or. <laughs> so, my, 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 my rule of thumb is typically if I haven't spoken to a person in a year and it's still January, uh, you know, it's okay. Yeah. That's how I've been using okay. it. Okay. We'll, um, yeah, like, we'll let you off. <laughs> but dude, you know, I know we were trying to finish off. This is our uh, our last episode of season eight, you know, 10th okay, episode. Um, and we have an awesome guest waiting. And I know we've tried and I bailed on you two weeks in a row. We had right. like this disgruntled viewers. They were like, you know, <laughs> aching. Where the hell is the show? You guys always do this every Wednesday. Um, yeah. But uh, but here we are. I needed a break. Honestly, I hope you had a good break, break as well. I missed you. Yeah, in your break. And I think that you survived COVID since we talked last time. You know, that's, you, that's uh, right. That's right. You I had survived admit. it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Even though exactly. it's still, um, I actually went to just check. I mean, I'm, I'm negative, but apparently up to a few months, like I just started coughing like crazy this morning. And it's like, it doesn't mean that it is a remnant of it, but there's just weird things. Uh, you feel, but yes. You feel disconnected. I, you know, I actually, without having to chat with you, I feel disconnected to the digital health space a little bit or like not having events, you know, um, there's been a lot going yeah, on. And yeah, yeah. Friends announced deals, but your your buddy Ray, you know, had his big raise. <laughs> That's right. You know, Glenn and Transparent, two hundred mil, another unicorn. Yeah. So uh, pretty pretty amazing. Um, actually, our friends uh, Jess and Matthew, uh, I think, rebranded their health two and two, right? Uh, right. Which, which I was right. always confused on how do you actually say it. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward right. to catching up to the to that episode. And actually, speaking of uh, Matthew, um, so the person that's jumping on, we're actually not going to dive truly into digital health today. We're okay. going to talk about psychedelics, um, but many other things. So Amanda Carnell, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name. Um, I met her through Matthew. She was right. part of the Health 2.0 Catalyst, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her in and not, give, and not give too much away about Amanda. Excellent. And um, as soon as she gets her uh, video and audio and all that good stuff set up. And Amanda survived a, a tour of duty, professional duty with, uh, with Matthew, Matthew Holt. Holt. That's right. <laughs> can you hear me? But you can't see me. Correct. Yeah, we can hear you. It's like a, it's God speaking. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Much better. I'm here. Hi, Amanda. Hey, guys. Hi, Amanda. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I was just telling you know, Jim that, um, you know, all roads, for me at least, when it comes to kind of health and health tech people and and actually probably many people there are, it all lead to Matthew Holt somehow. That's one <laughs> channel. Mark and Kelly is another channel. And then, you know, Roberto right, and Frontiers is like, yeah. And then, <laughs> so, um, Amazing. How lucky are we? Exactly. <laughs> I have to say, I watch. I've been. I've been following the show for a bit, and <laughs> I would normally. I would normally listen, so it would be on in the background. I'd be doing other things, but for right. a while, I thought that this was drunk history for digital health. <laughs> and see, when you invited me on the show, I thought I had to just get really, really drunk before showing up. 
And then I started I to it. listen to more episodes and thinking, wow, these people are so professional. They're really holding it together. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. One was, was showing up completely trashed. And then I, then I watched a little more and I realized that that right. really it was Jim who was the one who was drinking the most. I, I, I think there was some, I brought you know, bourbon. You know what? Yeah. You guys, yeah. you guys meet each other and you can. Right. When you meet, I'll go get, get my. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get some. Actually, my, my partner was going out to the post office and he said, oh, do you need anything from outside? Um, right. I'm, li I'm in, living in London, so I'm hiding a bit from COVID here. And, nice. uh, and I thought, OK, what do I want to drink on this show? We're talking about psychedelics. We're talking about hallucinogens. <laughs> so he's just screamed down before he leaves. Get some absinthe. <laughs> and Great he comes idea. back and I'm like, where's the absinthe? He yeah. goes, oh, you were serious? What do you need absinthe for? It's Wednesday. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, no, we have it. What, what's the expression? Drink, drink scotch instead of whiskey so people know you're drunk and not stupid. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever heard that. That's, that, that's pretty funny. I like it. Well, um, I'm I, doing a little bit because unfortunately still have some, uh, some US I was say, are you feeling better? Are yeah, still... yeah, yeah. Still, okay. you know, still things, but overall, yes, all good, easy. Okay. And especially glad that you can still hang out with Jim now that Health Beacon's on the Uranex and he's not too cool for you. <laughs> she did her research. <laughs> I, yeah. that, was, that was exactly my question. Like, can I really hang out with him still? But Right, right. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's all about you. And I know we're kind of crunching ourselves uh, a little yeah. bit today. Um, That's all right. So tell us who Amanda is, a little bit kind of your background and what led you to the original Health2O and all of yeah. that stuff. And then where so, you are now. And we'll interrupt Amanda. throughout. I mean, I'm a Pisces. I love long walks on the beach. <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, who are you? Or you'll go to, to dinner parties and everyone will tell you their, where they work, their education. Mm -hmm. They'll name some social status stuff and that's it. And on to the next person. It's like, well, that's not all. That's not, all right. that's not what I'm all about. Um, but okay, let's do that for, for the sake of this. Um, my, my background, I'm... We, by 13. the way, you don't have to. You can, you can, you know, <laughs> right, uh, right. you can I, describe I, Amanda I mean, however you want. If I drink a describe. little bit more, we could just get real yeah, personal there, by the end of this. We've, we've had a few people that we couldn't get anything out of. We're like, come on, certainly oh, really? you must have some interest. <laughs> you must have some interest. It was we'll Matthew do a part Jessica. two of this where <laughs> right. we'll just all microdose psilocybin from the morning until 6 p.m. And then we'll just see what happens. Yeah, this is a gateway. This is a gateway podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it sucks, you just delete it and you don't post it anywhere. Um, no, 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 okay, that's so, not happening. <laughs> who am I? Um, my name is Amanda Marie Cardinale. I started, I studied finance and investing in my undergrad, uh, neuroscience in my, um, my graduate degree. So I spent about eight years at Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Um, I started when I was 19 years old as an intern on the trading floor, was there for three summers, uh, ultimately landed in the alternative investments group in the last wow. analyst class of 2008, awesome. uh, which was <laughs> everything late, leading up to it was incredible. And then there were uh, about two years where being the lowest person on the totem pole, you, uh, you work 18, right, yeah. you know, for 18 months working 14 hour days. Um, and you, you sort of keep your head down and do your work. Now, I have to say, though, looking back all these years later, 
it was one of the most formative and tremendous professional experiences in my life. Um, was that Merrill Lynch? Was it Merrill Lynch or back at Merrill, Merrill Lynch at the time? So I started and about a month in, I was placed on the desk. About a month in, it was a Saturday. And I want to say Lehman Brothers went under. On Sunday, Merrill Lynch was sold to Bank of America. And on Monday, I went into the office. And uh, that's wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm um, totally seeing that I'm, I'm already predicting the story flow into psychedelics here. <laughs> so things got hectic and then I discovered LSD. No, um, actually, I, I mean, I, it was great that we, our team, the team I worked with was absolutely incredible. I met some of the most amazing, hardworking, intelligent individuals. Um, and we were all suffering together during this time. And, um, and granted, I think that there were a lot of people that were suffering during the crisis in a completely different way. So I, I, I want to caveat it with that. But um, you know, we had a, a very large alternative investments business where our assets were essentially slashed in half. A lot of the team was let go. And um, we spent the next seven years rebuilding that business and did it very strategically and methodically. Um, and by the time I had left in 2015, um, we built it up to be about a $30 billion alternative investments business. Now they're, I believe they're at about 50 or 60 billion in AUM um, and worked with some of the largest hedge funds and institutions on the planet. And because I was so young and, and things were happening the way that they were, I was taught a lot very quickly, especially from the lawyers on our team who uh, trained mm -hmm. me in negotiation. Um, and it was, it was incredible. Um, what I can say though, is that at the same time, and this brings me into healthcare, um, I had also started as a child caregiver at about eight years old, caring for my mother who had degenerative brain disease. Wow. And it was a huge part of my life. It was a huge part of my childhood. And, and um, I was very intimately involved in the healthcare system and her caregiving for a long time. And I think when you, when you start at that age, it's mm. almost normal. And I don't know what the, the correct word would be, except that you, you don't know anything else. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s, I was in a large bank. Um, I'm in this incredibly efficient, data-driven, tech-savvy industry that I took a look at healthcare and thought, what is going on here? Right. And then I started end-of-life care. And at that point, um, I didn't understand why we were taking someone who was bedridden um, and putting her in an ambulance to travel two hours each way to see a neurologist. Right. It, but when I was Skyping with my friends in Europe, right. and that was when I started to think a lot more about telemedicine. Well, how can, how can we look at some of these solutions that are being used and studied by the VA in rural areas and start integrating them into cities? Um, right. Can we integrate them into our everyday lives? Can telemedicine be what we're now hearing as the front door of primary care? Um, and I knew that intuitively through my experience, but I don't think that the market had, had caught up on that yet. And we know that healthcare moves slowly. It's, it's a bit of a beast. What, what um, year was this, Amanda? Just, uh, just sort of orient year wise, year wise, what year was it roughly? Year wise. So I was doing end of life care between 2012 and 2013. Okay. 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 And, did you come, did you ever come across, uh, Alexander Drain? Uh, I mean, no. she's doing a lot of the, she was actually on, on the shot as well. I mean, just an amazing woman and was, uh, was talking about end of life care, actually at health 2.0. Um, 
And now she's actually running a caregiver Archangels organization, which is amazing. amazing. So just, I think there's a couple of, couple of con Intro interesting connects there. Yeah, we'll do it. I'll meet we'll her. Do. Yeah, was thank it, you. Was, were you doing it for your person, for your, for your mother at that stage, or you were doing it for a business at that stage? I was just doing it for my mother and okay. it wasn't, it wasn't the same as what I was doing when I was living home as a child, because I was really going home on the weekends. We had an entire care team. My father was helping my sister. We had a, a live-in nurse who was helping as well. So by the end, it was, it took a village. Um, but I, I was doing a bit of medication management on Excel spreadsheets, right? Trying to figure out how to organize this in the ways that I knew. Right. Um, and to make quite a long story short, I was reading the Wall Street Journal during the day and then reading telemedicine research in the evenings. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it just got to a point where I said to myself, well, you know what? You don't have any kids. You don't own a home. You don't own a car. What do you have to lose? What right, do you think right. is next? And I thought that the telemedicine revolution was coming. I thought that the health technology revolution was coming. And I really, I felt it. I saw it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, and I wanted, as I looked into these tools more and more, the thing that I found was that technologists, business people, investors, scientists, clinicians, they weren't speaking the same language. Everyone yeah. wanted to contribute, but they couldn't yeah. actually collaborate effectively. And when I was doing my own research into tools, I realized that I was hitting this brick wall. I, I didn't understand clinical language. I couldn't even read scientific literature. And I, that, that to me meant I couldn't do due diligence. Sure. Um, and so I decided to study science and I was genuinely interested in behavioral sciences as a young person, but obviously seeing um, you know, neurological degradation, I became very interested in the brain and decided to go back to school. So I went to Columbia University. I received my master's degree in neuroscience. Um, the biobehavioral design sciences department was kind enough to let me cultivate that around looking at telemedicine and digital solutions for brain right. health, which um, hadn't really been done at the time. Yeah. They, they thought I was a little bit wacky, but that's what I focused on. And um, I mean, I, you're obviously you're obviously not very ambitious. No, <laughs> no, not, not, not at all. <laughs> the first time I met her, I was like, not a ambitious person at all. I'm already blown no. away. <laughs> I mean. Well, I think um, I, I appreciate that. But what I what I like is that um, for someone with my background to see the promise in psychedelics, I think is a really uh, important thing. And that's why I'm, I'm happy to be on the show. I'm happy to write about it because I'm getting resistance from certain individuals, even people in my family. I come from quite a conservative family that right. are like, well, why are you looking at this? Right. Well, do you see the mental health crisis? Right, it's pretty right. serious. And was that uh, part also, of your was that part of your masters? Did you start to get exposed to it at that stage, or was it kind of post that? So I did. That is where I started to get exposure. So I think recreationally, I was exposed as a teenager, right? right. Um, and I was not someone. That, that was who, smooth, by the way. That was a very smooth statement. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I mean, exposure doesn't mean ongoing use, right? Yeah, okay, I, yeah, I think yeah. that there's you, a time you, and place gotcha. for everything. Eugene but, classify Eugene has a similar experience, but he classifies teenage years as all the way into his side. <laughs> I just don't I just don't remember them, but go ahead. He can't remember the raves in fields that he went to. That's that's a problem. Um, but yeah, actually I was taking I was in a neuropsychopharmacology class um, with a a doctor named Brian Kohler, who's was just one of the best professors that I came across. And 
he was talking about some of these long-term depression studies where when you're looking at antidepressants and you're looking at SSRIs, uh, antipsychotics, which are the main medications that are used for mental health treatment, you're seeing these benefits in the short term, but then over the long term, you're not really seeing the same benefits. And he was trying to investigate, well, what do you do for someone who has been dealing with a mental health condition for 20, 30 years? Should right. they even continue to be on this medication? What are, what's the optimal treatment? And so I had asked him if he thought about any other psychoactive substances um, that I had been hearing about whispers of psilocybin research. And he said, yeah, there's psilocybin right. research going on at NYU. You should look into it. And that was when I took a look at that work and, um, and really thought, wow, they have something special going on here. <laughs> They're, they're looking at people with treatment resistant depression, major depressive disorder. They're looking, then I started to uncover maps and the work that was going on there for over at, at that time for maybe, you know, six years. Now we're 10 years in um, and maps is looking at patients with PTSD who have not been responding to treatment for 17, 18 years. And then right. they go through three sessions of psychedelic assisted MDMA therapy. Um, And in 18 week follow-ups, you're finding that 70% of these participants no longer meet the criteria for PTSD. That's Uh, unreal. By the way, this just, um, you know, I I got addicted to clubhouse for about two weeks and then it just got noisy. But one of the best, best clubhouses I joined was actually um, a veteran that went mm. through that exact, and he was right. so eloquently describing his experience on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right. I'm still like drawn back. So I just wanted to like, it. it's, yeah. it, it's the best thing that was on Clubhouse uh, that I took it, out it, of it. it, it <laughs> it's kind of intuitive. I, I feel like, you know, like when, within healthcare, so much of it is, you know, so, so much, or we would say even like in common kind of parlance around or best health treatments. It's, it's, it, it, there's a lot of, a lot of fear-based approach or, you know, kind of conservatism, like you might ex- expose your family where, you know, you can't, but if you think about it fundamentally, if, if people are exposed to a drug and it gives them, an, you know, in certain circumstances, people hear folklore about long-term detrimental effects or addiction or there, then, you know, the, the converse could be true, right? Like the, mm-hmm. you know, so meaning if you have such an effect on someone's brain and chemistry and balance, then why wouldn't we study the other side of it that actually minor exposure to it? So it's a total fascinating field. It's blowing me away. So yeah, can we, it's, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I think for like our viewers and listeners, right. It's like digital health, I, but this is not about it. Like maybe um, kind of in your research. So one, one thing I'd love to know is how you actually met Matthew and did the catalyst <laughs> thing, but that's like, you know, um, the, 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 the second piece a little bit is like psychedelics, uh, and I, I don't want to say versus, right. So the microdosing you were talking about and all of that, mm-hmm. um, and then the psilocybin therapies, I mean, there's companies like Compass, uh, you know, our friend Marco and many others that are lots of investment going in. Some are calling oh, yeah. themselves a pharma company. Some are not calling themselves a pharmaceutical company, more of a mental health company. So can you yep. differentiate and we can com- come back to Matthew later? Psychedelic okay, okay. I'm actually I'm gonna take off my, my blazer <laughs> because I, I wore my, my Pink Floyd dark side. All right, all right. And now I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit hot from this angel's envy. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's go to the second, let's go to the second question. Um, I love numbers, so let's let's maybe think about numbers a bit. 
So if you think about um, if you think about like 2021 global venture funding into startups, this was about 650 billion. That's up 90% from last year. 200 billion of that was in early stage companies. Okay. To give <clears throat> relative perspective, in 2021, 44 billion was invested into global health tech. Um, <clears throat> sorry, which is also doubling year doubled year over year. Right. So we're seeing this tremendous interest in startups, in health innovation. And now we're starting to see psychedelics come in there as part of health innovation. So in psychedelics, we've only started to scratch the surface. Yeah. Um, psychedelic yeah. investing, if you if you look at Psychedelic Invest, uh, a website, they'll, they say that about 700 million was invested into private psychedelics companies last year. That's okay. up from 350 million the year before. Um, you've seen a flurry of IPOs. So the first publicly traded company, MindMed, IPO'd in March of 2020. Now we have over 50 psychedelic stocks. Wow. Um, wow. Albeit, they're, they're not performing very well. So if you look at the, the Horizon Psychedelics ETF, it's down 40%. Um, okay. The largest psychedelics by market cap, psychedelic stocks by market cap, um, like Atai, Compass, Mind met again, they're down between 50, 60%. Wow. So um, I think that we need quite a bit of time before yep. these stocks get back up to peak level. But we also need to consider that these companies have a lot of vol. There's a lot of risk. There's an uncertain regulatory environment. And many of them are drug development companies. So when you're saying, hey, we're a mental health company, we're a drug development company, you really just need to get under the hood and see what are they working on? What's their pipeline? Right. Um, and if you're a drug developer, you know this very well, Eugene. I mean, you have a very long timeline to reach profitability. Um, there's a lot of R&D. There's a lot of um, upfront capital costs. And uh, it's just very timely and costly. So your question on what are these companies? Well, many of them are drug developers. And they're either looking at plants, plant-derived, or chemical psychoactive substances um, that are mainly targeting 5-HT2A receptors. So the, the, recept the serotonin receptors in the brain that cause the, hallucin the hallucinations. Yep. Um, now you do, now that, there I'm talking a bit about you know, private funding, public markets, but really um, a lot of the innovation is not happening in the public space. It's happening in private companies. Okay. And so um, you, you, you are seeing plenty of drug developers. You're also seeing some really interesting digital health companies. So um, there's, there's a company called Maya Health that's being uh, led by a guy named David Champion who helped with the, the Denver Psilocybin Initiative. And they are right now the market leader in PAT software management. They have designed a, a clinical practice management platform that does everything from tracking patient data, helping with session information, and all of that data will eventually feed into clinical trials, real world evidence, and help to understand dose optimization, um, and then eventually get to pharma companies who I think will yep. be controlling um, the administration of these drugs along with regulatory bodies. Is, um, there like a, when you look at like the, because like, there was this flurry of cannabis companies, right, that listed, um, you know, and, you know, it kind of similarly kind of went to markets and they might have gone on, you know, kind of the, some of those smaller exchanges, but there was, uh, there was a play and then some decent sized ones went on NASDAQ and New York, New York Stock Exchange, I think. Yeah. Is that the kind of path they're following? Or it's, it seems to me like there's two trends here. There's like, there's the decriminalization of yeah. 
drugs, you know, of mm-hmm. drugs at large, like, you know, recreational drugs or, you know, kind of end of life treatments for pain relief. And then Sorry. now there's like a, there's like a destigmatization stigmatization of drugs, like, you know, so, um, you know, which I probably need, yeah, need a, a small stroke. I'm not even, <laughs> but yeah, there's this kind of, you know, now it's okay. Right. Like it's okay. So that, that opens it up. Like it's like one, it's not a criminal event and no, it's no, it's not a problem anymore. Is that what's leading this? Is this, I, I, I think what is leading this is the fact that we have an ongoing mental health crisis that is only getting worse. We have an, a, a very large aging population that's living longer. We realize now that antidepressants only work for a certain subsegment of the population. And we're starting to see very alarming trends. Like right now we have you know, two and a half times more suicide deaths and homicides in the United States. Wow. They say that one in five people have uh, a mental health condition, but really when you look at the data, you realize that those, those numbers are understated and it's probably closer to one in four, if not more. Right. Um, youth suicide has gone up by 50% in the last 10 years. And it's now the number one cause of death X accidents in people aged 10 to 35. So you can't look away from these stats. And then COVID's exacerbating this. At the same time, you have this older population that um, you know, is dealing with dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and there are just no treatments. This is a complete blue ocean market. And when you look at what psychedelic medicines can do, um, they can act as anxiolytic, so they can reduce anxiety. They can treat people with treatment-resistant depression with major depressive disorder. They can help people with PTSD. The findings are incredible. They're also now starting to look at testing this with youth populations that are a little bit more open to this. And on the other side of the spectrum, there's evidence that certain, um, certain psychedelics like LSD, DMT, psilocybin particularly, um, have neuroplastic properties. So they actually help neurons grow. That is game changing. I knew it, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) You'll forget everything that you did, but your neurons grew. Um, So so I think that what's happening is that they're they're looking for new medications to help with with these, these mental health issues, but they're also looking for medications to help with neurological conditions. And so we're talking about Alzheimer's and dementia, but that's not it. Now we're looking into traumatic brain injury. We're looking into neurodegenerative diseases like ALS, PD, multiple sclerosis, conditions that are very, very costly to the system. And if you really look globally, um, one in eight people has a neurological condition. It's just something that that people don't speak about because it's taboo and it's stigmatized. And we live, especially in the developed world, in a culture where our intellectual capacity, our cognitive capacity is um, how we're valued. Right, right, that's right, yeah. And and so what is it, I mean, what what is it you're doing specifically? Like what's your, you know, are you looking to invest and build companies in the space? Yeah. So, so I spent, I've spent since my time um, in graduate school, I've spent a lot of time with startups uh, and I really love the innovation happening there. Uh, I've been a consultant and advisor. I worked with the Catalyst team at Health 2.0. Um, and then more recently in 2021, I spent time with a team uh, of a company called Woven Science um, with a, a team distributed between uh, London, 
Europe, the US. And so they're thinking about how to really build a ecosystem of psychedelic models of care, but they're also focused on considering, well, what digital health solutions can help Okay, with care okay. models. And so they teamed up with Founders Factory and have launched the first psychedelics accelerator, uh, awesome. mental health accelerator in the world. And um, I helped them to look at companies, screen them, um, get them through diligence, get them through IC and um, had been consulting with them for the better part of, of the, the last half of last year. And uh, just met the most incredible people along the way. So part of um, you know my con contribution to the field was helping to build that and work with that team. Um, I'm also privately working with an organization that I can't mention, but they're looking also at, at how to build out psychedelic models of care. And I think a lot of people are keeping their cards close to their chest. So there's yeah. um, there's not only you know, a lot of competition. So people are trying not to say what they're doing and I'm signing these aggressive NDAs. So, so please don't mind the secrecy, but there's also um, trust issues between the, the business people, the investors, and those who have been doing this in a grassroots way for many, many years. Um, okay. in, my, in my time working um, with the Women's Science and Founders Factory team, I was interviewing clinicians, understanding their needs, getting in touch with psychotherapists who have been administering um, you know, psilocybin in their New York City apartments for 10 years because they have had patients that they really care about. So um, I think what I'm trying to do now is think about, well, one, where can I invest my time and energy to you know, bridge my knowledge in neuroscience, how passionate I am about the mental health crisis and trying to find solutions for it, help people with their brain health, but also think how can we make um, care models going forward more accessible, affordable, convenient by using digital health, which was the original mandate that I was looking at. Um, more recently, just three days ago, um, I actually started a new role full-time here in London, uh, where I am an investment principal at a, a joint venture called KHP MedTech. And so um, that's not necessarily just in psychedelics. Um, they're really a, a, a partnership between some of the largest institutions in South London. So um, King's College, um, King's College London, King's College NHS Trust, and guys in St. Thomas's, uh, guys and, sorry, guys in St. Thomas's. Have another, have another sip. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm drinking too much. Fault. I'm gonna drink the water now. It was my fault. I was messing up stigmatization. <laughs> And so, and so what they're doing is they've contributed 12 million pounds into this JV to really think about how can we get some interesting digital health tools into um, London hospitals, research organizations, and take a look awesome. at, at where health technology can help the ecosystem. So you're full-time in London right now. I am full-time in London now. And yeah. another American in uh, in Yeah, I know. This is, we've had a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll continue. I, I think what I'm doing as well is um, looking at some of these private companies where I could potentially come in as an angel investor, um, looking at the publicly traded companies, although I'm not sure if I'm going to touch very many of them yet. <laughs> um, and then and then continue to evangelize. You know, I love writing about this topic. I think that having uh, people who can look at it from a scientific perspective is incredibly important. Um, and I do think that these medicines, if they're studied appropriately, they're um, researched and we, we know how to administer them safely, 
can completely change the face of psychiatry. Wow. On, on, on that note, and I know I'm time crunching, I, I, this is probably one of the, and I know we say that to 87 other people, but I do really mean it. Like I can talk for another couple of hours. I've just learned so much and from data. Oh, and, uh, no, seriously. Yeah. Right. And I know you've sent me, uh, you know, one of your papers on telemedicine, like you really go, go deep into topics. So fascinating. Thank you. But in the, in the few minutes that we have left, I'm going to leave it maybe to Jim for his famous question at the end. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, yeah, <laughs> right. let, 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 let's see it. Neurons so imagine, yeah. Imagine yourself, you know, so you're <laughs> imagine, imagine you're on a clinical trial where you can go back in time yeah, okay. maybe psychedelic, <laughs> like a psychedelic <laughs> clinical trial, but you're back in time and you, you're, you're giving advice to a young, talented uh, woman who has just come off of an incredibly intense financial ex experience on a trading floor and the stock exchange and caring for her family in the evening, becoming passionate about healthcare. And, and she decides, to, <laughs> she goes and decides to start a business. And she's looking at that and, she, and you're looking at it with all the wisdom you've collected over the years. What's the one piece of advice would you give to that young entrepreneur starting her digital health psychedelic business? Be brave. Do not stop. And you keep going until the job is done. Love it. Love it. Love now, it. the job being done does not mean that you've achieved whatever your idea is of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It also doesn't mean failure. You can learn a lot along the way, but I think the most important part is to continue to hustle. Your it is such a test of character to see how you react under pressure, stress, failure. And all of that comes along with being a fail, being a founder. It, it just, it's never smooth. So. Um, that is my piece of advice. Don't stop. Keep going. Be brave. I think you should make a song out of it as well. I know. I know. We're definitely going to clip this one. We're definitely going to clip that. Like, I was Can we put like a hip hop beat behind it since I'm a New Yorker? That's a, that was like, don't stop. A little South London kind of. South London. Guys, I'm sorry mm -hmm. to rush all of us today. This no, is like crazy, no. uh, but it was was awesome. Good to reconnect, actually, not just via voice as we've been Agreed. doing, but uh, video as well. I'm so appreciative. Thank you for bringing me onto the show. I, no, I, well, I, I, love, I love it. I could have sat here. I wish we had more time. We should have got the whiskey yeah. out and gone taking some more let's, time. Let's but. do it outside <laughs> of the recording. We could just hang. I mean, you're you're in Ireland, right? I'm in Dublin. I'm in Dublin, London. All I can just you walk go. over to your place. Yeah, I think awesome. technically you can walk now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hang out. <laughs> totally. All right, All right guys. Thank well, you. Thank you for joining. This is the end of season eight. This was an awesome closure of season eight. Um, so thank you. And for all those listeners and viewers, subscribe, forward, listen in. <laughs> thank you. Got it. All right, Bye. Amanda. Bye. <laughs>